Hey guys, and welcome to episode 10 of the Average Joe Films podcast. And wow, 10 episodes. <laughs> it's, I guess, quite monumentous for this little podcast, which I've put together, I guess, just now over 10 weeks ago. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm, I, it, actually, I'm really enjoying having to do this every week. It gives me something to look forward to organizing every week. Um, it does encourage me to watch more films, which I love doing anyway. So for those of you to do listen, thank you. And I do intend to keep this running for as long as it can, I guess. But anyway, let's just go straight into the new section of this week's show. Um, just today, I believe, the trailer for Ford vs. Ferrari dropped. That's the new film by James Mangold, starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale. And it's the story of how, I, I believe, how Ford tried to build a car which would rival the Ferrari or even beat it in uh, Formula One. Um, I don't really know much about this, but I have some friends who are very much into cars and they're very excited for this. And it looks pretty good from the trailer. It looks pretty exciting. It could be another thing like Rush, where I know nothing about racing or cars and I end up really enjoying it. So that's cool. Ford versus Ferrari. Um, in other news, there is a Boy George biopic in the works, apparently, and I don't really know how to feel about this because, one, I don't really care about Boy George. Two, it there seems to be a trend forming now in Hollywood that we're just going to keep making biopics about famous singers because they make money. Now, I haven't seen Rocket Man. Apparently, that's a lot better than Bohemian Rhapsody, but I was not happy at all with Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a film I really, really didn't like. It was really thin. But, I mean, what can you do? These films are going to make money because they're about famous singers. <laughs> In news that might upset some people, it seems that Robert Pattinson has been confirmed as the Batman, even by Matt Reeves posting on his own Twitter. Matt Reeves is going to be the writer and director for this next Batman film coming in 2021, I believe. And yeah, as I've said on the last time I covered this news topic, I'm all for this. I think Robert Pattinson has done a lot to change his image since Twilight. He's written a lot of indie films here and there. And he's great. I think he can do really, really well. And I support this. If you don't, I mean, boo, you suck. <laughs> Next one is the much-loved Rousseau brothers of um, Avengers fame. They are apparently writing a Magic the Gathering TV show for Netflix, which is going to be animated. Again, <laughs> never really been a big fan of Magic the Gathering, never got into the cards. But animated fantasy sounds right up my alley. I love playing Dungeons & Dragons with my friends, so... This could be something cool to watch, and I hope the Rousseau's can do a good job of it. Um, now I want to talk about this next one a little bit. This is the new Godzilla film, Godzilla King of Monsters. Um, it's been panned by critics, they absolutely hate it, but it's still made over $180 million in its opening weekend. This is something which kind of makes my blood boil with these big blockbusters, because they're not made very well, they're made just to be spectacle, all style, no substance, and they still make a buttload of money because they just have um, IPs that people are interested in. They prey on intertextuality. I could do a whole podcast or even video about intertextuality. In fact, I probably mean to do one at some point over the summer. But this is a problem we have in the film industry is that people go to see these blockbusters because they have a big name attached to them. Um, and they make so much money and then no one goes to see these smaller, more independent films. And that's a problem because... At least if you ask me, these smaller independent films are usually better. They, fact, they are usually better. And we need to expose people to better films, if you ask me. I mean, this is what I'm fighting for with this podcast and just in general with what I want to do with my life. So Godzilla, making loads of money but getting panned by critics. 
if you do watch it i haven't seen it yet i don't intend to go and watch it at the cinema i guess you can drop me a message if you really enjoyed it if you thought it was great and that might entice me to go and see it but otherwise i'm waiting for the dvd release of this one because i can't merit spending 10 euros on a film like this because it just it it looks terrible in my opinion anyway and the last bit of news i'm going to comment on is harrison ford has said he would rather indiana jones gets killed than see chris Pla- chris pratt sorry um play the character of indiana jones now I actually totally agree because I don't think it makes sense to have Chris Pratt playing Indiana Jones when Harrison Ford has played him for so long and the character is so associated with Harrison Ford. I don't like it when someone is replaced in that way just to reboot something, just to give it to a younger audience. If you want to bring Chris Pratt's character maybe into a future Indiana Jones movie and then make a spin-off, which is a very big possibility. Again, I don't know how I feel about that, but that at least makes more sense. So yeah, more power to you, Harrison. I'd rather that people kill off your characters rather than cast someone else in your roles. And with that, I will go into my films that I watched this week. Um, This is the least um, films I'll be um, talking about on this podcast. I had a very busy week, what with assignments and doing some work for other people and organizing a video I plan to release on Wednesday. So it's just five films this week, which some of you might say, oh, five films, there's a lot of films in a week. But to me, it's not. (laughs) Anyway first one I watched was uh, The Wailing. This is from 2016 and it's directed by Ha Hon Jin. This is a Korean film, obviously in Korean language, and the plot is as follows. Suspicion leads to hysteria when rural villagers link a series of brutal murders to the arrival of a mysterious stranger. Firstly, I'm just going to say that that is, in my opinion, the perfect little synopsis that every film should have. It shouldn't be more than three or four lines. shouldn't be too revealing, but it should still grab your interest. And... As you can probably assume from this, this is a horror thriller. Um, it is much more a thriller than horror, but there are definitely horror elements to it, especially in the way it treats certain elements of the film. And it's really good. I, I really, really enjoyed this one. It's very twisty. It's very taut. In typical Korean fashion, they do not hold back on a lot of shit in this film. They really go for it. And that's one of my favorite things about Korean cinema is that they never hold back with these kinds of things. They don't hold back from darker elements on the emotional side and on the gorier side. And one thing I loved is it really gave me this vibe of the old Resident Evil games. And I say specifically the games because the films are terrible and I don't want you to associate this film with that. But just, yeah, this kind of like big mystery that unfolds. And it's a pretty long film. I believe it's about two hours and a half, but it really, really doesn't feel um, that long. And then like, you've got these great performances there committed and they're always committed in korean films i don't think i've ever seen bad performances in korean films ever and there is one scene in particular there's this ritual scene which happens in it not a spoiler because obviously you have no idea what this one's about um and it's probably the most stunning ritual scene i've seen in a film i mean it's kinetic it's loud it's powerful and it's honestly almost perfect like in combination with the camera work and the um, performance during it it's so so good um and the film is obviously it's entertaining as well as well as thrilling um and there's a big callback to like these old folk tales like witches and curses and yet it's set in this very contemporary setting and as yeah i loved it i thought it was really really good i've been meaning to watch it for a while i think it's a perfect watch for those who want like a gripping and twisty thriller with also some horror thrown in there for good measure so yeah the wailing go watch that one it's really good the second one i'm going to go through is by a filmmaker who i've watched quite a few of his films within the last year 
Um, this is by Takashi Mike or Mike. Don't know how to pronounce it. I've heard someone say Mike before, so I'm going to stick with that. And this is Audition from 1999. And as I said, it's directed by Takashi Mike. And the plot is as follows. Aided by a film producer friend, Ayama uses auditions for a fake production to function as a dating service. When Aoyama becomes intrigued by the withdrawn, gorgeous Asami, they begin a relationship. However, he begins to realize that Asami isn't as reserved as she appears, leading to gradually increased tension. Now, I have actually edited that synopsis to not give away as much as the one on um, Google and most film websites does give away, because I think it gives away a bit too much. Now, as I said, I'm quite a fan of Mike's recent work. I feel he's got this really cool kinetic energy to his films, which is really unique in a Japanese filmmaker. And yeah, by the way, this is in Japanese. I hope the name gave it away. Um, and it's very much a romantic thriller, but not in the conventional sense at all, because the name of the game here is Slow Burn. And I would say a good hour and 20 minutes of this film is basically that typical 90s romance thing. It's very much got that vibe to it. Even the kind of just like faded colors that all 90s films seem to have, it's very present over here. But then when the tension really starts to hit it it really hits i mean this film goes from rob reiner to david lynch to michael haneke in a flash <laughs> like and it really catches you off guard and usually a tonal shift like that would be really jarring and it would really hurt the film but throughout this when you really think about it there are some eerily subtle um build-ups that really put in place what's about to happen and I have to say, it's a really good watch. It's not a great watch. It is a little bit too long for its own good. I think you could have shaved off about 10 to 15 minutes off this, and it would have been a bit tighter in that respect. But I did love seeing the tropes and techniques that Mike is known for today being used in a film this early in his career. Um, I will say it's not for the weak of stomach. <laughs> there is actually a probably big similarities to Misery by Rob Reiner as well in some ways in this film. And I will say it's probably perfect for those who are patient and they await the thrill to come they don't need to actively seek it out so it's good but not great but if you're a fan of Mike, i would suggest you go back and watch it because it is quite an enjoyable watch in that respect and going on to the third film for this week this is cash from 2005 directed by michael haneke or hanek or haneke don't know how to pronounce it never heard it said but i'm gonna stick with haneke um and the plot is as follows Without warning, happy, successful Parisian couple Georges and Anne Laurent receive anonymous videos suggesting that they are being stalked. The tapes are followed by disturbingly violent, if childish, drawings. Georges, a well-known literary talk show host, shrugs off the mysterious messages, but Anne shows increasingly, increasingly distressed and fearful for their teenage son. She grows to suspect that an incident in Georges' past is behind the increasing torment. So, synopsis is a little bit revealing, but it doesn't really matter all that much, and... To speak about the director, I've seen some of his older films, and he is quite known as a provocateur. Those of you that don't know what that is, it's someone who uses shock factor and very shocking scenes in order just to provoke a reaction from you, and there's no real place for it. Now, I don't really agree with that statement. I tend to like most of his films. But that being said, this is quite the change of pace for him, and I think it's probably his best film. It's definitely my favorite from his hands down. And as you can probably tell from the synopsis, the plot does... I mean, it would seem to follow this twist-filled and jumpy route, but it's really, really not the case. And what we have is just a borderline masterpiece in, one, tension, subversion, and ambiguity. And to speak about Haneke himself, the direction is flawless in this film. There's, like, not a problem. Haneke is making a huge emphasis on details. 
he presents us with these beautiful static long takes that we can really like fully study and take in everything he wants us to see because as i said it's just all about details in this film your eyes will be darting around the frame constantly and he handles this family crisis with like a really nice deft hand and it's great to see how he reimburses the tension every time a new tape arrives it really could follow cliches and tropes of these kind of thrillers but it really doesn't and I will say, because I don't want to say too much about this film, but if you go into this looking for answers, don't bother, you're going to come out really frustrated. This is a film made for a much more committed audience, and it's made for an audience that are willing to take part in an active discussion once the credits have rolled. I mean, I actually wish that I had someone with me when I watched this to really, really discuss this and really go in depth about what we felt the film was trying to say. And that's, I mean, it's great when a director does this. And as I said, it's a really good change of pace for Haneke over here. And it's really, really good. But as I said, if you want something clear-cut as a thriller, this isn't the one for you. Um, there are some shocking scenes in there. Obviously, it's a Haneke film, but on the whole, this is fantastic. It's definitely my favorite film by his. And now, I'll move on to uh, my fourth film for the week. This is one I'd already seen in cinemas a few months ago, but I did watch it again with my friends the other night because they hadn't seen it. And this is Us, from 2019, directed by Jordan Peele. Many of you have probably heard about this one. And I am going to do my best, well, I'm going to do my utmost to not spoil anything, because there is obviously no spoilers in this, that's the name of the game here. <laughs> um, so the synopsis is as follows. Accompanied by her husband, son, and daughter, Adelaide Wilson returns to the beachfront home where she grew up as a child. Haunted by a traumatic experience from the past, Adelaide grows increasingly concerned that something bad is going to happen. Her worst fears soon become reality when four masked strangers descend upon the house, forcing the Wilk Wilsons into a fight for survival. Now, you might think that that's revealing, but it's absolutely not, because this film is full of twists and turns, and that's one of the things I loved about it. It's starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, Tim Heidecker, Shahadi Wright-Joseph, and Evan Alex. Um, as I said, second viewing, and I had heard that seeing this film for a second time, it makes it better, and it does. But I did see things um, that I think I liked more the first time round, and now I liked less, obviously, seeing it a second time. To go back to Peel's first film, which was last year's Get Out, that was brilliant. I, I love that film to death. And I do think Peel very much breaks the sophomore curse with this one because this is a great film. It's not as good as Get Out, but it is great. And I have to say one thing I particularly love about Peel as a director and as a writer is his ability to juggle tone. And this can be so difficult, but he did it perfectly in Get Out and he nails it in Us also. I mean, he perfectly handles heavier moments and moments of humor. And it's just this really nice blend, which is seamless and it's effective mostly. Um, to speak about the cast, it's great across the board. I mean, particularly Nyong'o, she delivers a fantastic, absolute powerhouse performance. And I have to say, as a guilty pleasure kind of thing, I loved every single second of Tim Heidecker in this film. I mean, I have quite a bit of history with Tim Heidecker and being a fan of his, so just seeing him in this film, I thought he was absolutely perfect. I like, I could have watched a film just about Tim Heidecker's character. Like, he was so good, if you ask me. Um... To go back to the actual point of this, I do like that in this film, Peel chose to really take a risk and expand on the work he had done in Get Out. He didn't play his cards close to his chest, and it's really, really ambitious and it's really inventive. But my biggest complaint with this film is that there is a certain scene towards the end, which is very expositional. Like it just it 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 didn't need to be done. It explains things that don't need explaining. And when for the duration, you've had a lot of mystery and there's a lot of imagery and then this 
chunk of dialogue comes in and i was the second time around i was just like why you know like <laughs> i didn't need these things answered but it really doesn't take away from the film i mean overall it's very very good it's inventive it's ambitious and it's an out and out genre film and i love genre films so it's just not as polished as get out that's how i rate this film it's still very good and with that we come to my final film and this is one i've been meaning to watch for a while to be fair i mean i've seen it referenced so many times in like different forms of pop culture and this is jacob's ladder from 1990 directed by adrian lin and the plot is after returning home from the vietnam war veteran jacob singer struggles to maintain his sanity Plagued by hallucinations and flashbacks, Singer rapidly falls apart as the world and people around him morph and twist into disturbing images. His girlfriend, Jesse, and ex-wife Sarah try to help, but to little avail. Even Singer's chiropractor friend, Lewis, fails to reach him as he descends into madness. And this is starring Tim Robbins and Elizabeth Pena in the two main roles in this film. And as I said, I'd heard about it, and I'm pretty sure everyone has seen the picture of Tim Robbins lying down in a bath of water, and his eyes are very bloodshot. Um, but I'd never gotten around to watching it. And a friend said, yes, I suggested to my friends yesterday and they were like, yeah, sure, let's watch it. One of my friends has seen it already, but luckily he's respectful and he <laughs> decided not to ruin everything for us. Um, so I didn't have any expectations really and I didn't really know anything about the film. And at least in my case, I felt that was for the better. So if you want to stop listening now, stop listening now. Obviously, no spoilers, but if you prefer to go in blind and I actually do recommend going in blind for this one, Stop listening now, <laughs> but here it goes. Um, we have an anti-war film over here, and it's honestly as powerful as anti-war films come, and it personally really took me off guard. I mean, much like I was saying about Haneke's film, Cash, this film is all about details, and the director, Lin, he chooses to place things in the frame with very good reason, and there really isn't a wasted shot throughout the film. And the performances are great across the board. I mean, even some of the smaller actors who I didn't really know, they were great as well. It's really creatively shot, it's visceral, it's raw, it's brutal, and it's still relevant today. I mean, we still have wars going on today. We still have people suffering the horrors of war today. And there are some truly horrifying sequences. And if you are squeamish, this may be a bit much for you because it took a turn at one point and I was like, whoa, this got very graphic very quickly. Um... And the film has quite a bit to say. It's possibly why it didn't receive such a huge reception upon its release. I mean, I went back and read a load of reviews from when this came out in 1990. Obviously, I wasn't born back then. And the reviews weren't raving, but I can't understand why they weren't. And I do feel like this is a film, um, it should be revisited every couple of years because there are techniques in this film which are still being used today. Like, I, There are some cuts which are literally in Hereditary, the film that came out last year. And they're a carbon copy of what's been done in Jacob's Ladder. And it's not really a technique I'm too familiar with, but I recognized it from Hereditary because I'd seen that film before. Um, all this being said, I am a sucker for an anti-war film. They're one of my favorite genres of films. I mean, Apocalypse Now is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, but this is one of the best anti-war films I've seen. It's got a lot to say. It's no wonder that it's still referenced in pop culture. And I loved it. It's very twisty. It doesn't go the way you think it is. And it's it's mad <laughs> that's the way i'm going to describe it it's a mad film and i really liked it and with that we come to the end of the show firstly i'd like to thank you for listening um later this week i will have my final um star wars prequel special coming that's going to be revenge of the sith obviously i don't know when the next star wars prequels the next sorry star wars special will be after that but it should be fairly soon it won't take too long um i do have a video releasing on wednesday on the facebook page 
But yeah, other than that, this is the 10th episode of the show. Very monumentous. Again, thank you for listening. I've been your average Joe, and I will see you soon.